David Eichel here for HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, here to break down Iowa's recent loss to Northwestern, 21-20. A lot of things to get to, I think, in this game. It was another one of those really weird games, but again, it felt like Iowa just shot themselves in the foot time and time and time again. And with a really bad second quarter, I think that's where really the game turned, and that's when the Iowa offense really got... Uh, just lack of day school. They just couldn't get anything going. Spencer Petras looked out of sorts. But a lot. I want to get to a lot of your questions. I know a lot of you submitted, and thank you for that. I always appreciate that. It gives us good talking points. I'm always interested to hear uh, what you guys have to say, what you all need to say. Um, so let's dive into it. I think the best way to do this is just uh, for me to go through each position group, say a couple things I know, so we'll get right to your questions, maybe a key point here or there. Maybe a key play here or there, but uh, let's let's dive right into it. So obviously, there's a lot of talk right now about Spencer Petras, how you know the redshirt sophomore out of California making his home debut. Really, he started off hot. It was kind of a weird situation as opposed to last week when he really you know was pretty shaky to start out with. Uh, he was he was sharp, and then he struggled down the stretch. So let's get right into that. Uh, first of all, it was a three and out by Iowa. Tory Taylor might be a godsend for punter for, for Kirk Ferentz and company. 23-year-old freshman from Australia. He's really putting together an all-conference year. I know that's, you know, bittersweet for Iowa fans. Um, and, and, you know, because you want to have your offense score points. But Tory Taylor is doing everything asked of him. I think he's really bringing a lot of consistency and productivity uh, in that punting room. But great punt. Northwestern uh, Coco Azima fumbled it. Terry Roberts got right on top of that, gave Iowa the ball inside the 10-yard line, threw a beautiful seven-yard fade to Brandon Smith for Spencer Petrus' first career touchdown. And then Iowa comes right back down on that uh, on that next drive, and, and they get another touchdown, three plays, 45 yards. And again, Petrus looked comfortable. And the, the big thing was, though, too, the wind was in their favor when this started. And that's something that... It is confusing me a little bit even more because Petrus has a rocket of an arm. I think everyone's kind of seen that over the past couple of weeks. But like I said, Zach Van Balkenberg, the D2 Hillsdale College transfer in his second year for Iowa, forced the fumble, recovered it. Iowa took over on Northwestern's 45. Spencer Petrus finds a 20-yard uh, pass to Smith-Marset. Kind of got Smith-Marset going a little bit. He had his easily, easily a good comeback week. I think it was seven catches, which was a career high for 84 total yards. And then Tyler Goodson finished off the drive with a 15-yard touchdown halfback draw. Again, good play. Iowa takes a quick 14-0 lead. I'll get on this a little bit later, but news broke this morning as first reported by KCJJ, the Iowa City radio station. Emir Smith-Marset was arrested for an OWI last night, going 74 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. Emir Smith-Marset failed a couple of field sobriety tests in registered blood alcohol content level of 0.130 on a data master test. He was arrested. He was processed. He did not stay overnight in jail, uh, according to Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Another fellow colleague on the Iowa beat. Uh, he talked to the Johnson County Jail. Smith Marset was brought in and processed. He did not stay overnight because of COVID procedures, which limit the jail numbers. And Smith Marset will have a future court date. I know there's a lot of talk about what's going to happen there. From my perspective and my understanding, I fully expect Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa staff to 
basically follow the student code of conduct. I think he's going to be suspended for this Saturday's game against Michigan State. More than that, I'm not sure. Keep in mind, Tristan Wirth send OWI. He was suspended for one game as well. And this does beg the question for me, for Smith-Marset. I've seen him anywhere from the third round to a sixth round draft pick in next year's NFL draft. But with the slow start, not really doing anything in Iowa season opener. Had Again, had a nice game on Saturday. Uh, of course, Iowa fell. Shortened tape with the arrest. This is basically a free year of eligibility. Does Emir Smith-Marset roll the dice for the NFL? Or does he come back? Because with a shortened season, Iowa's more than likely not going to represent the Big Ten West in the title game. And if he's suspended, he's really not going to have much tape for his final year. And that will significantly affect his draft stock, especially since uh, it's a shortened season and he's not one of those top two-round guys. Does he roll the dice or does he come back? I think with everything going on, I think that's going to be a very legitimate question to follow. Smith Marset doesn't strike me as a guy that would be willing to return another year, but you never know. He, I, you know, some people thought he was going to leave after last season after his three touchdown performance against USC in the Holiday Bowl, but he basically said, I'm, "I didn't even think about it. I, I, we have unfinished business. I have unfinished business," and he opted back uh, for the Hawkeyes for his senior year. So I think that will be something to monitor as well. But getting back to Petrus again, he started off hot, complete nine of his first eleven passes. But something that stuck out to me uh, as the game went on, he got happy feet. And I think once you know Spencer, you know, you see quarterbacks get those happy feet, you know they're in trouble. Especially, I think it was his second interception. He started jumping around the pocket a little bit, threw it off balance, and it basically went right to the Northwestern defender. And I think most people in the press box, you guys at home, kind of saw that coming. But something that I'm interested that what the coaching staff is going to say Spencer Petrus is. There were times, especially in the fourth quarter, I thought, where Petrus was just jumping around and he scrambled out of the pocket for no reason whatsoever. Absolutely none. There wasn't any pressure. It wasn't collapsing in. I think specifically of Iowa's first play when they took over the inside the 10-yard line, he ended up throwing the ball out of bounds before taking a hit, I believe. I'm just going off the top of my memory. But he scrambled out and... Koi Kronk had his man blocked. It was either Kallenberger or Koi Kronk, excuse me. I th- maybe, I think it was Kallenberger. Had him blocked. And the second Petra scrambled outside, the Northwestern edge rusher just, you know, got off, got off trying to collapse in the pocket and just chased Petrus out of bounds. And if Petrus had stayed in that pocket a little bit longer, Nico Regania was wide open over the middle. I mean, I'm talking... I don't think there was a guy within 10 or 15 yards of him. I'm not sure what it showed on the television, but that was my view from the press box. So I think that's something that needs to be watched. They need to get Petrus more comfortable in the pocket. Otherwise, the ceiling's automatically limited. Uh, again, so basically, like I said, he got to a hot start, struggled down the stretch. He completed nine of his first 11 passes for 86 yards and touchdown. After that, Petrus went 17 of his final 39, told 130 yards, 7.6 yards per completion, and threw three picks. Now, here's the thing. I understand people want to bash Petrus. I'm not saying that's completely unwarranted. But with the way the wind conditions were, why did Iowa elect to throw the ball 51 times and only run the ball 23 times? When you have Tyler Goodson, one of the most dynamic running backs, I think, in the conference in terms of the ability to make something out of nothing. And Makai Sargent, 
who is off to a pretty pretty solid start this year. I think obviously he had the big fumble last week, which I'm not going to say it didn't cost Iowa the game. There are a lot of things that went into that, but it, it was a big deal. But anyway, going back to the play selection, it, again, with the weather, it just it was incredibly interesting to me why Iowa elected to throw the ball that many times because historically when you look at games Iowa loses, when they throw the ball 40, 50 times, they're not going to come away with the win. The 50 pass attempts were the most by an Iowa quarterback since Jake Rudock threw it 56 times against Maryland in 2014. And Kirk Ferentz was asked about throwing the ball 50 times, only running it 23. And he said, I'll go on the record saying this. We don't want to play that way. And quite frankly, under in the history of Iowa football since Kirk Ferentz took over in 1999, this is not Iowa football. Iowa's zone running scheme just continues to get absolutely torched game after game. They're loading 8-9 in the box, the defenses, and Iowa runs straight into them for two or three yards. Look, Iowa is only averaging 3.3 yards per carry, but you gotta get you gotta find a way to take some pressure off Spencer Petrus, especially when he's struggling, the wind's a factor, and he's in his home debut. I mean, there look again, this is not saying Spencer Petrus doesn't deserve some blame. But there's plenty of blame to go all around. It's far from one person's problem. Uh, there were times the receivers couldn't get open. Uh, there were a lot of plays where it was moving laterally instead of vertically. It, it didn't make much sense. How many times do we see on a third and five, third and six, they were on a two-yard in route or a drag route over the middle, deliver it, they're three yards short, Iowa punts it away. I mean, it, it was very Greg Davis-esque at times. And the difference is, with, with Brian Ferentz, The thing that frustrates people the most, I feel like, is it's so inconsistent. When Brian Ferentz is good, Iowa is great. When Iowa is bad, man, it's it's a tough watch. Iowa has not scored a second-half touchdown the past five games. I believe they have not scored any third-quarter points in the last six Big Ten games. And frankly... It's pretty unacceptable, and it should be unacceptable with the talent that Iowa has with its skill positions, with the dynamic running back like Tyler Goodson, with with a future NFL starting center, with two fifth-year offensive tackles who have been around the Big Ten block. I mean, things should and should be better, and the team should expect better, and I think fans should expect better as well. So there's plenty of blame to go all around there. Again, I think play calling was a big deal. But I think people need to realize a couple things here, too. I'm, I know I'm flip-flopping back and forth. I'll get into your questions here in a few minutes. But how about Davion Nixon? I mean, this is what Iowa fans were hoping for of, of Nixon uh, when basically Kirk Ferentz and them stuck with him. He's had a long journey to Iowa, and it's finally paying off for him. Remember, he signed to Iowa, I believe, in the 2017 class, had to go to the Juco route to Iowa Western was offered a scholarship by Alabama. He turned that away, went to Iowa because they stayed loyal to him. He took another year off football to get his academics in order. Came in last year, showed some really good things. And this season, he is playing at an all-conference level through two games, 18 tackles, five and a half for loss, a forced fumble, and two sacks. While, might I add, being double teamed play after play. And he's not a guy to sit there and, and talk himself up he basically said, I don't care. I didn't do enough because we didn't win. Uh, I think he's emerging as the leader on that defense. And Iowa's defensive line has struggled. But for Nixon to be that productive, I think that that's a huge thing going forward. And, I mean, he absolutely took over yesterday's game against Northwestern. There was, a, in, like I said, in the second quarter, Iowa's defense really struggled. They gave up two long touchdown drives, 16 plays and 14 plays, uh, 75 
and 79 yards respectively. I mean, they were churning the clock. They were running after running, you know, play after play, picking up third downs, uh, and scored two touchdowns. And Iowa's defense looked a little bit broken, but look, Iowa's defense in the second half I thought was absolutely spot on. They gave Petrus and that offense chance after chance in opposing territory. In the final eight minutes and five seconds of the game, Iowa had the ball in Northwestern territory twice, and it ended up in interception and a turnover on downs. And with that in mind, too, remember this. Iowa's defense gave the ball back to the Iowa offense with a minute 29 left after Northwestern had gotten the ball back with a minute 45 on the clock. Iowa absolutely stuffed the Wildcat offense, and they're forced to punt away. So again, chance after chance, they couldn't make it up. It was very eerily similar to last week where the Iowa just could not finish. And it's absolutely crazy to think about too, because again, when you look at the stats, I guess you could see it go both ways, but just with the way Northwestern performed, you would not expect them to come out with a win. 60 carries, they averaged 2.4 yards per carry. In the second half, Northwestern's offense averaged 0.8 yards a carry. They ran the ball, I believe, 23 times. Pardon me, 26 times in the second half. Uh, Again, 0.8 yards per carry. The Iowa defense showed up and out when they needed to. I think pass rushing is still an issue. But again, Brian Ferentz and Spencer Petras and that Iowa offense had a lot of chances to get things going. Northwestern only had 92 second half yards. And I'll say this too, look, I got to rewatch some of uh, Spencer Petrus's throws. I believe that third interception wasn't entirely on him. Sam Laporta just couldn't come down with it. I think that second interception was on Petrus. He led Sam Laporta a little bit too far out in front of him. And here's two things. It's not a bad thing to lead your receiver that far, but you have to have some touch, okay? There's two ways a quarterback can play. If you're going to throw the ball as hard as Spencer Petrus does, and I'm, again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but if you're going to throw it as hard as Spencer Petrus does, you have to be on the money every single time. You can't throw it like he did the other day, especially on that second interception, and not have touch. If he has a little bit of touch on that, Laporta probably comes down with it, and it's a substantial gain, and Iowa's offense keeps going. So you can be a little bit inaccurate, but if you have touch, your receiver should be able to come down with it. You can't fire the ball out in front of him that hard and expect your receiver to come down with it every time. Otherwise, you're going to see a lot of tipped balls, and I think that that's going to end up in a lot more uh, turnovers for Iowa. So I've rambled on for 15 minutes. I know I didn't get to everything I said I was going to get to, but let's dive right into your thoughts because, again, I think a lot of you had some really – Really fair questions and questions that need to be asked. So let's let's dive right into it. Uh, first one, uh, just a comment. I honestly think we are seeing the end of Ferentz, the Ferentz era with everything going on this summer and the lawsuit and a really bad offense. I don't think he can weather this, especially if Iowa gets two or three wins this year. I think it's a little bit, I don't want to say early to speculate that Ferentz is gone. Uh, I think he's going to be able to leave on his own terms. I don't see the University of Iowa terminating him after everything that's gone on uh, through the offseason. And if he does still has the support of his team, I don't really see that being the case. But again, things could change. Winning, I hate, you know, I think people don't like saying this, but I think it's true. Winning solves everything. If Iowa wins out, he's going to be absolutely fine. Uh, If they get two or three wins with this sort of roster, again, I don't think he can be terminated but there's going to be a lot of noise from the public about what's the next step. And on top of that, 
the University of Iowa would never terminate Ference without having some sort of plan in place. I think that'd be irresponsible. And I, I'm not saying it'd be the downfall of the program, but it would put the university and put the football program in a bad spot where they have to have, uh, you know, try to pull something out just to find a coach and find a coaching staff and get things quote unquote back on track. And keep in mind too, and I, I'm fully, I fully understand people's perspective about uh, the stuff this summer with the lawsuit pending and everything like that. And I again, I think Iowa's team has a lot of talent and a lot of potential, but they just continue to shoot themselves in the foot. They've been un, you know undisciplined, et cetera, et cetera. But Kirk Ferentz is fresh off another 10-win season. They won 47 games in the past five years, and that's the most in a five-year span in school history. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So I, I think that they're always going to be able to keep, they're going to keep that in perspective as well. Uh, I, I think that there's some really good recruits that are coming to Iowa, especially in this next class. And again, I'm not saying don't terminate a coach for recruits, but it's something that needs to be monitored when you take a step back and fully evaluate the body of work. Again, that's not shortchanging what went on this summer, but after everything that's gone on this summer, I think that they are going to stick by Ferentz. So that that's just my very brief, un, not unfil, unfiltered thoughts about about that. Uh, who needs to see in-game reps now that the season is effectively over? For example, Hogan needs, Deuce Hogan needs at least one to two series every game the rest of the way. Are there players you're concerned that will now opt out of the season? That's it. The second part of that's really interesting, and I'll say this. The Ferences in Iowa are not going to throw in players just to throw in players. I know everyone says now that it's a lost season. It effectively means nothing. Here's my thing. You fight for the player's right to play because you, you the fans want a season. They want to give the kids an opportunity to have a season. If Iowa's 2-0, are people still saying that? I don't think so. And again, you I, I feel like you can't fight for the player's desire and right to play and then basically say the season's over because the team's losing. I think that it's a little bit hypocritical to some extent. And I understand maybe not caring as much or just being disappointed with the result on the field. But the, the reality is the coaches and the players are taking this as normally as they possibly can in a season. They aren't going to throw in players just to throw in players. Uh, but it is an interesting question. The second half of that, are there any players you're concerned about opting out? I don't think so. If in regard, maybe there are some, but here's what I would say that there's no player good enough on Iowa's roster to opt out. For the NFL draft. I think that they'd only be hurting themselves. And that includes Tyler Linderbaum. I think he's done a nice job. But I also don't think Tyler Linderbaum is the type of type of player to uh, opt out that soon. So, yeah, that, that's kind of... That, again, I, I really don't see a scenario where a lot of guys opt out. Maybe one or two. And, again, that's not anything I'm hearing. I don't know any specifics. Nobody said anything. But, again, I don't think there's any player on Iowa's roster good enough to opt out and believe that they can be a surefire high-end NFL draft pick. 
Why did Iowa keep throwing the ball up 17-0? Not Iowa football that I'm used to. Get a lead and run out the clock, win the field possession battle, back-to-back bad losses. Yeah, uh, I think that's a very fair point, and I think that it, it really doesn't make much sense to me about why Iowa threw the ball. I know that there's a lot of talent on that wide receiver group and in Sam Laporta I know a lot of people are high on him I am as well I think he's a future all-conference tight end but you have Tyler Goodson and Makai Sargent Ivory Kelly Martin showing some nice things I think through the early parts of this season run the football take the pressure off your starter making his home debut that didn't make much sense to me again whenever Iowa throws the ball 50 plus times 40 plus times they're usually playing catch-up in a bad spot. And the crazy part is they weren't playing catch-up. I don't know if it was something they were afraid to run the ball for ball security purposes. Maybe that's something that Brian was thinking of. But I just, I don't see that. Um, I There really should be no world that Iowa throws the ball 50 times. And I'm going to write this in my column a little bit later. The thing that's crazy to me is I know Iowa lost some key players like Tristan Wirfs, Geno Stone, AJ Epinesa, Nate Stanley, longtime starter. But they return a lot of experience. Emir Smith-Marset, Brand Smith, Tyrone Tracy, Nico Regania, Larrick Jackson, Tyler Linderbaum, Tyler Goodson, Makai Sargent. I could go on and on. With Iowa's most experienced offense that I can remember, at least I can remember, there is no identity with this team. It does not look like a typical Iowa football team. They are throwing the ball too much. They aren't establishing the run. They aren't re- relying on their play action. And when they do run the play action, it's not believable because Iowa's not running the football well. And I think right now, Petrus is getting in this habit of locking in on one receiver and not going through his progressions. And I'll say this, there are a couple of throws the other day where they ended up being completions, but Petrus was about a second slow, especially on a, cu- a couple uh, curl routes. Uh, he basically waited till his receiver turned all the way around before he threw the ball. A good defensive back is going to be able to read that and and run it back for a pick six. And I think that is something that needs to be corrected. I think that's something that the coaches and Petrus need to kind of keep an eye on. But again, Iowa right now has just lost its identity. It does not look like a typical Iowa football team. And they just, the teams that have an identity, Northwestern, they're 2-0. Indiana, 2-0. Ohio State, 2-0. And I mean, I'm talking about a very wide variety of, of teams that are undefeated, but they have an identity and they're playing their style of football and it's resulting in wins. Right now, Iowa's not doing that. They're lost. And again, granted, they usually get three or four tune-up, you know, three tune-up games, non-conference opponents. I do think that that has a, a factor in this situation. I think if Petrus had three off uh, non-conference games, he'd be much more seasoned and ready to go for Big Ten play. And it's so hard for me to overtly criticize Spencer Petrus. There was, I know he's been on campus since January of 2018, but people got to realize how much work it takes to be a starter. He was going into this season knowing he was going to be the starter. He got no spring camp. He had a really weird offseason, you know, spring football. There was a very weird fall camp. And with COVID, it's such an odd year, I think, to overly analyze Spencer Petrus. And again, that's not giving him a, dismiss for, a dismissal for some of the the fundamental errors that he, he's had. But I do think that that's something that people need to keep an eye on as well. Uh, keeping going down the list here. Why is Iowa struggling to get stops on third down? Northwestern seemed to always find a way to convert. Doesn't seem like there's much of a pass rush when only sending four besides Nixon and occasionally Golston. Ryan, I think that's an excellent point. 
Northwestern converted 52.6% of its third downs the other day. And But keep in mind, too, the majority of those were on their two long touchdown drives. Like the end. That's not dismissing them. I'm just saying Iowa did make adjustments in that second half, and they are much sharper in that second half. And when they needed stops in the second half, they got them. So, yeah, I, I think that's an entirely fair point. I think that Iowa's pass rush is one of my biggest worries about this team. I think they need to find a way to be able to um, – minimize the effect of that. I think that they need to send linebacker blitzes. They need to maybe have a few safety blitzes thrown in there. Iowa and Phil Parker need to find a way to generate that sort of pass rush. Maybe a QB spy. Peyton Ramsey picked up a couple third downs with his legs. Uh, And that's something that has been the case, I think, for, you know, again, Iowa defenses of the past without an actual QB spy. Quarterbacks, a little bit of mobility have actually really hurt Iowa on third downs. But to go back to the original point, yes, there needs to be more of a pass rush. Golston, I think, needs to turn it up a notch. Jack Heflin, I think, has done a couple nice things. But that other defensive end, Zach Van Valkenburg, by the way, again, he had a sack. He had a forced fumble. He recovered the fumble. He had a pretty solid game uh, and gave some productivity there. But Iowa needs to find a way to be able to generate pass rush or they are going to really struggle down the stretch of this season. Are the wide receivers getting separation from the defense? It seems like Petrus is throwing when the defensive guy is all over our wide receivers or tight end. Is he not seeing the open guy? Mike, I think there's a nice, not nice, but there's a mixture between the two. I think at times the Iowa wide receivers have not been able to get that sort of separation. I think Nico Regani's done a nice job. Ymir Smith-Marset did a much better job. Brandon Smith had a lot of curl routes where he did, but again, I think Petrus found him a little bit late. There have been times where I think Petrus has missed the open guys because he gets so panicked in the pocket. But again, he falls into the spell of deadlocking on one of his targets instead of scanning the field, setting his feet, and going through his progression. So I think there's a little bit of blame on both sides there. Uh, let's see. Will it take Petrus getting COVID for any other quarterback to have a shot at getting meaningful snaps? Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Or an injury or or just a lot more interceptions. Because, I mean, I think people have realized Kirk is as loyal as to his quarterbacks as they come. Uh, he has not given up. I mean, keep in mind, I, I believe it was 2009. Again, Ricky Stansy was just a different caliber of a quarterback, a different kid. And you had to watch him play football. He threw the five picks against, I think it was Indiana, but then let a fourth quarter comeback. Uh, and after the five, the fifth pick, he still didn't pull him. And I think that's a prime example that sticks out in my mind. But I'll say this too, and this is why I think people need to slow the roll a little bit. A lot of people are calling for, you know, freshman Deuce Hogan. A lot of people are calling for redshirt uh, freshman Alex Padilla. Guys, Petrus has been on campus since January of 2018. He didn't have fall camp. I mean, he had a little bit of fall camp. He had no spring ball. Summer workouts were extremely odd. And you want to bench him after two games. And you want to put in the true freshman quarterback that definitely got no spring ball, that had the weirdest summer perhaps in the history of the Iowa football program. I'm not even talking about the racial allegations or anything like that. I'm talking specifically about the workout schedule and the procedures and everything like that and a weird fall camp. You want to have that quarterback go into the bunch and throw in the Wolves. I'm not saying I'm not saying the the opinion is is wrong, 
But I think that would be very irresponsible for Iowa to do that. I think there's a lot of risk with that and not much reward. So again, I think getting COVID or something of that bunch, again, knock on wood, nobody gets COVID. Uh, Alert Jackson seemed to be struggling. Did he lose too much weight to be an effective left tackle? He's looking more like a tight end. Yeah, and here's the thing too, Chad. Alaric says that he's still around 320 pounds. He does look quicker on his get off. I don't know where his strength is though. And it really does look like he's been beat a lot more often than in previous years. I don't think he lost too much weight. I'm not sure how much the diet really has anything to do with it, but he's definitely off to a, I think a pretty sloppy first two game start. I think after the first series against Purdue, he showed me a little bit more and was a little bit more consistent. And I don't think he played poorly yesterday. But there is something off with, with him right now, and I haven't been able to quite put my finger on it. Again, I'm going to rewatch the game from a television point of view so I can actually have a closer eye on some of those individual matchups. But I, I understand the, the, the worry a little bit or the concern uh, about Alaric. And, I mean, even the rest of the offensive line. But, again, I think the offensive line, for the most part, has done pretty well. There have been stretches where they haven't, but uh, I think the interior has settled down much more than it did last year. Uh, Jordan, uh, should Iowa look at this year as a developmental year for a real season 2021? Yeah, you know, here's here's that's an interesting question. I think in some ways, yes, the coaching staff can. As far as the players, I don't think so because there are guys that, even though this season doesn't count as a season of eligibility, they're not going to want to come back next season they want to go either the NFL and you know some guys just want to move on with their life so they're going to give it their all every single play I think if you're talking about sophomores if you're talking about juniors sure I think you can talk about that but if you're if you're asking should Iowa be putting in younger guys just for the sake of putting in younger guys I don't think so I don't think that's the right thing to do especially with all the players and the parents and the public have done to even have a remote shot at this season at all and to give the players an opportunity. I don't think that that's going to happen, and I'd be absolutely astonished if Kirk and company ended up doing that. Uh, So as far as that, I think there's a healthy blend, as in the coaches I think in some ways will look at as that. But look, they're going to be hungry for wins, and Iowa's still going to do whatever they can do uh, to pick up those wins. How many games of inaccuracy before coaching staff makes a change? I mean, if you're talking again, if you're talking about quarterback, I think you're talking about Spencer Petras having to get COVID and injury, or just flat out throwing pick after pick after pick, and it's not so much on the offense; it's just on Petras. Um, and again, I think at times he was overthrowing receivers, uh, but even just they're, they're too high. A lot of the passes, I mean, there were times where Petras was throwing in at double coverage. And there were times where he scramble out of the pocket, throw the ball on the run, and he'd underthrow a wide open receiver. I can think of three times that happened yesterday. So I think that's something to keep an eye on as well. Uh, Deuce Hogan time. Like I said, I think people need to keep in perspective that Deuce Hogan has not had a lot of time on campus, probably doesn't know the playbook uh, totally quite yet. And again, no spring ball, weird summer workouts, weird, weird, weird fall camp. Thoughts on throwing the ball 50 times. I replied to this on Twitter and I said, bad. <laughs> but to expand upon that again, it's not Iowa football. It's not what wins Iowa games historically. Run the ball, establish the play action, take a few shots downfield, and, and throw more passes, you know, outside passes that go 10 plus yards. Forget these two yard over the middle routes. At times they've been proven to be effective, but there have been so many times where 
it got to the point where Northwestern just read the play completely before it even started. So again, Iowa needs to establish the run. That's Iowa football. That's when Iowa's at their best. Run for 100, 150 yards. Set up Petrus for success. Take the pressure off your first-year starting quarterback. That's what Iowa needs to do. Again, I don't like the throwing it 50 times, but I'll tell you what. If Petrus is completing about 70% of his passes and you're throwing it 50 times, I think you're talking about a different story. But on top of that, again, Iowa is not taking any shots downfield. I, it, it, to me... At times, it looks like Petrus doesn't trust his receivers to go make a play because there are good risks and there are bad risks. If you're throwing the ball downfield to Brandon Smith, that's a good risk because those 50-50 passes become 80-20 because Brandon Smith has made an absolute freak show with some of those down-the-field catches as we've seen in his career. So I think there needs to be a talk about we got to take some shots downfield. These two-yard routes over the middle, throwing in a double coverage just past the first down marker, those are bad passes. Those are just flat-out bad passes. Uh, Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Let's keep going down. Let's see if there's a few more. It's time for the Brian Ferentz experiment to be over. That's now it's up to them to decide. I I'm not. I've been a long defender of Brian Ferentz because I think the when the offense is good, it's great. But when it's inconsistent, it's bad. In those second half offenses, I mean, there really is no excuse. You, you haven't scored a touchdown in five in the third quarter in five straight Big Tank games. I mean, there's a lot of things, especially in the second half of games, where Iowa just cannot get anything going. Defenses make adjustments, and they figure out Iowa's offense. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I Again, I, I don't see Brian going anywhere as long as Kirk Ferentz is the head coach. Unless Brian steps aside, I don't think that will ever be the case. Um, but again, when he's great, he's great. Uh, there were a few more I wanted to get to here before we kind of wrap this whole thing up. Uh, it looked like the runs up the middle were good, but the runs the outside were stopped for losses. Did you see anything? Did you see anything different to just completely ban the run and throw 50 times? Yeah, I think that's a big question. Again, I'll see that when I rewatch the game and I do my my weekly report card where I grade rushing offense, rushing defense, passing offense, passing defense, special teams. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. Uh, but as far as what I can remember. I didn't really see too much. I think that Iowa just looked like they were frustrated in the run game. I think that's an excellent point where the runs up the middle did a lot better than the runs to the outside, which is kind of ironic because the runs to the outside have tipped, have brought Iowa success, I think, in the in not, not just in last game, but uh, against USC and a couple of Big Ten games last year. So I didn't really see too much different. Uh, I think that, again, I, I think that they're a little bit frustrated. And I, again, I'll say this. I think they're maybe part of it has to do with the ball security and worried about that. But if you have an experienced group with Goodson, Ivory Kelly, Martin, and Sargent, you still got to run the football. Otherwise, you become so single-dimensional. And Iowa's not an elite enough passing team where they can throw 50 passes like the Boilermakers and win games. That's just not Iowa's mantra. But guess what? Purdue knows their identity. Purdue's 2-0. Is that a coincidence? I think not. Uh, 
But again, I'll have to rewatch that. But I think I think you bring up like a really good point. I think that's absolutely 100% true. Uh, which offensive linemen have played the most? Doesn't seem like Kronk's playing much. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, Tyler Linderbaum, Eric Jackson lead the bunch. Quay Kronk did, was replaced uh, by Mark Kallenberger. And I think Kallenberger settled in pretty well. Uh, Kirk said that uh, Koi Kronk just did not look 100% comfortable out there, so they pulled him for Kallenberger. I think Cody Ince at offensive guard is another guy to keep an eye on. I think he settled in really well. He took over for Ben Wart and Ky- uh, Kyler Schott uh, took over the other offensive guard spot. Tyler Linderbaum uh, was in at center. But uh, I think there are plenty of good offensive linemen. I think right now uh, there are deeper questions than the offensive line for this Iowa team. I think the offensive line has done a pretty pretty nice job for the most part uh, this season. Uh, why is Northwestern's Iowa, why, as a Northwestern man, why is Northwestern continuing to beat Iowa? Yeah, Pat Fitzgerald's 9-6. And again, I'll say this. I think that it's just one of those teams that I don't want to say has Iowa's number, but Northwestern knows who they are. They have their identity, and I don't want to say they figured out Iowa, but they come out fired up, and they don't shoot themselves in the foot. They find a way to win football games, and when, that when Iowa wins games, they don't shoot themselves in the foot. They win the turnover battle. They can run the football, and they are just tougher than the other team. I tweeted at one point during the game yesterday that Northwestern just looked tougher than Iowa on both lines of the ball uh, at times. But again, I think the second half, the defensive line really, really turned it up. Uh, somebody asked again, is it Kirk's last year? Again, I don't really, I don't think so with everything going on. We take a huge step back and take an overall look at everything. Uh, who replaces him? I think Chris Kleiman at Kansas State would be high up on the list, but he also signed a big extension with the Wildcats. So I don't know if that would be, uh, I don't want to say unrealistic, but I don't know what they'd have to do to get him. I think obviously Mark Stoops is another guy to keep an eye on. I think Bob Stoops is the ultimate pipe dream, but I do think that Bob Stoops is done coaching. That's a very rough top three uh, that I think Iowa would go after. couple more questions here before we wrap up. Uh, will football ever love me again? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I eventually, yes. The pain is only temporary. The pride and love is forever. Remember that. How can Kirk salvage this offense? Uh, again, excellent question. And I've, got, I've, I've preached this throughout this podcast. Find identity, run the football, out-tough the other team. Smart, tough, and physical. That's the Iowa mantra. That's what they tell their players. And finishing games. I The Iowa offense has been put in position the first two games to be able to come away with the win, but they haven't executed. I think the senior leaders need to step up. I think Iowa needs to establish a run game. And I think that there needs to be a good game plan in place to take pressure off Petrus and give this Iowa offense a chance to succeed. I think red zone offense and not and not committing self-inflicted wounds are a big part of that. So that's going to be, I think, the top things that Iowa needs. Again, there's talent, I think, at every position, including with Spencer Petrus. I think there's a lot there, but they have to find a way to be able to bring that out of him and set him up to succeed. There's a difference between having the talent potential and going out there versus being put in a position by the coaching staff, by your teammates, and yourself in a position to succeed. Where is this projected Iowa, one of the best offenses under Kirk Ferentz, under two games, we can't get it done when it counts, looks disorganized, not well-prepared, with a defeatist mindset. I, I think that last point is interesting. I think that, uh, again, I think 
on paper, this is one of Iowa's most talented offensive teams. But again, that's why games aren't won on paper. I do think Iowa will figure it out. But I'll tell you what, they don't have much time. Uh, I think, again, the Big Ten West is likely off the table. But there's still, I think, a lot of pride in this season. They still play Wisconsin. They still play Nebraska. They still play Minnesota. They still play Penn State. There are significant streaks with all of those teams, winning or losing, that they'll want to keep intact or snap. And I think that momentum does carry over season after season. So if the offense can figure it out by then, I think that's going to be a good thing, not just for this season, but for next season. And that's even if Emir Smith-Marset and Brand Smith don't opt to return to Iowa for one last season. Uh, two more questions. Chance, Brian Ferentz, Ken O'Keefe are gone after this year. I think if Kirk Ferentz is at the helm, no. I don't think either one of them will be gone unless one of them steps back. What has happened to the Iowa run game in the past three years? Again, I think teams have just figured out Iowa's zone run scheme. They stack eight in the box, eight or nine in the box. Iowa does an audible out of it, and they run right at them. And that's why you see two yards, three yards. Uh, over the last four years against Northwestern, Iowa has run the ball for 2.7 yards per carry, 2.9, 3.1, and 3.3. Gone up 0.2 every single season. So again, I think teams starting to figure it out. And I think Iowa's personnel, it's a dead giveaway. If they replace one of the tight ends with the fullback, Iowa's either running a play action or they're running the ball up the middle. Teams know that. Teams have figured it out. And teams are tougher right now. And I think that Iowa... Here's the thing. I'm not, it's not that Iowa's, I don't want to say stubborn. I think they are a little bit to some extent. But they believe they are, they are tougher. They are more physical. And they're better prepared for every single game. And no matter what the defenses throw at Iowa, that Iowa's offensive line should be able to overpower and create the open hole for the running back to go run through. And again, teams have figured it out. This is the Big Ten. They actually play defense in this conference. Iowa needs to find a way to mix it up if they want to get back and make the most out of this offense. A couple quick last closing notes. I think Seth Benson was a, I think he had some fundamental coverage errors, but he had a 13 tackles. Davion Nixon was great. Uh, Kayvon Merriweather, I think made a couple nice plays on defense when he was in. Uh, I still think there's a lot of talent on that defense. Nick Neiman, again, was pretty, you know, you know what to expect out of him. 10 tackles, half tackle for loss. Chauncey Golston, 7 tackles, 1.5 tackle for loss. And a quarterback, Curry. Kevon Merriweather had 5 tackles. And I think he's a big key because if he can emerge that safety spot, that allows Dane Belton to go play at the cash position, which I think is where his most potential lies in terms of being a playmaker. So again, Iowa returns at Michigan State. I mean, I'm sorry. Iowa returns on Saturday when they host Michigan State at 11 a.m. on ESPN. We'll bring another fresh swarm cast to you this week and break down Michigan State and everything that's happening in Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting. HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Be sure to follow me at David Eichel on Twitter, D-A-V-I-D-E-I-C-K-H-O-L-T. Follow our brand Twitter at Hawkeyes on 247 and our recruiting analysts and and have a big contributor, Sean Bach, at sbach247. Again, David Eichel, HawkeyeInsider.com. Join us today for the latest news, analysis, and all the discussion that you crave as an Iowa fan. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you in a few days.